Well, hey there. My name is Pastor Tim, and you have found my podcast. I currently serve as the pastor of First United Methodist Church of Fort Pierce, Florida, and I'm so grateful to be able to connect with you in this way. This podcast is a collection of my sermons and teachings that I hope you will use to deepen and strengthen your connection with Jesus Christ so that you might go and transform the world around you. So kick back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode. But beloved, you are not in darkness for that day to surprise you like a thief, for you are all children of light and children of the day, and we are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not fall asleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who are drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has destined us not for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live with him. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. These words uh, from the Apostle Paul come to us in the midst of uh, conversation that he is having with a church in Thessaloniki, which is a really fun word to say, right? <laughs> and so we're not sure of the exact context of what's going on because we only have one side of the conversation. But what a lot of scholars have traditionally understood Paul to be addressing is a fear that this church community has that they had missed the second coming of Christ. This is and has been the hope of the church since the very beginning of its life, that, that Christ will return, and when he does, he will make all things new. However, because of some of the ways that Jesus spoke about his return, it's unclear what all of the circumstances will be, which left them to speculation. We do that too, right? Many, many books have been written and sold about exactly what it will look like when Jesus comes back. You know, will he come back and just make everything new right away? Will he come back and there will be great tribulation and conflict? We don't really know, but it's believed that the people of Thessaloniki held to a latter view and that they were experiencing deep persecution, and conflict. And so naturally in their minds, they wonder to themselves, have we missed it? So Paul writes to them to assure them that the return of Christ still looms in the future. Your hope is still secure. How shocked they would be to learn that 2,000 years later, here we are still waiting Probably looking at the news and wondering, uh, did we miss it? 
The beautiful thing about this, though, is that it means that Paul's words of encouragement to this early church community are still words of encouragement for us today. So if you've been with us, you know, but if you're new with us, you're about to find out that we are in the midst of a sermon series called All Your Mind, where we're looking at Jesus's commandment to love the Lord our God with all of our hearts, with all of our souls, and with all of our minds and to love our neighbors as ourselves. And specifically, what we're looking at is the two most often neglected pieces of this command, loving God with our minds and loving ourselves. Because what happens here is that an inability to love God with all of our mind and an inability to love ourselves is one of the driving forces that keeps us from being able to recognize, admit, cope with, and recover from mental illness. And so we've talked about depression, we've talked about anxiety, and today we're going to talk about possibly the greatest threat to our society today, addiction. Now when you think of addiction, you may possibly think of folks who live in the woods or under bridges. But the reality is that's a stigma that's been smashed by modern living. Addiction is no longer something that's relegated to the underside of society. Addiction, in its many different forms, lives out in the open, touches lives across the entire spectrum of humanity. And sometimes it's even more insidious than just overusing pharmaceutical or abusing hard street drugs. The literature of uh, Narcotics Anonymous, a 12-step recovery fellowship, defines addiction as a mental, physical, and spiritual disease that affects every area of a person's life. It is physical in that it is compulsive. It drives behaviors that we're somehow unable to physically will ourselves to stop doing. It's mental in that it's obsessive, that this never-ending stream of thoughts that rationalizes tells us to keep doing a destructive, compulsive behavior. The mind can literally trick a person into continuing to behave a certain way despite the negative consequences that arise. And it is spiritual in the sense that it forces people into a life of self-centered depravity, isolating them, cutting them off from the world, and cutting them off from their relationship with God. And here's the deal. This disease can manifest in a number of different ways. The obvious drugs, alcohol, but there's also sex, shopping, video gaming, relationships, gambling, workaholism, golfing, whatever it is, right? This is not something that is reserved for a select few people who make bad decisions. This is a problem that is so widespread that I bet every single person in this room has somehow been affected, either directly because it's you or through the addiction of a loved one. And this is the world that we inhabit. We have addiction machines in our pockets. You know that? My wife just texted me. <laughs> what addiction does 
is it consumes our human existence in one way or another. Addiction clutters our minds and fills it with lies and nonsense that block us from being able to have a relationship with God, that block us from being able to see, love, and have relationships with other people. And if you haven't figured it out, it is, of course, the polar opposite of loving ourselves. Though addiction drives us into a life of self-centered living, it's a life that is the opposite of loving ourselves. It's a life of destroying ourselves. So what we find is that we are living life asleep at the wheel. We are here, but somehow we are also somewhere else. Kind of just sleepwalking through life, often quite unaware of our reality focused on ourselves and feeding our desire to escape from our lives, regardless of what it is that we use to do the escaping. You know, I think perhaps the people of Thessaloniki were looking for an excuse to give up. This whole following Jesus thing was getting hard. They were being persecuted, wondering if they'd somehow been left out of God's glorious future for them. And so they're asking Paul, like, hey, should we heed the words of Ecclesiastes and just eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die? And it's in the Bible. It's also a Dave Matthews band song. But, but Paul says, heck no. No, stay awake, be sober, because you've got work to do. So when we look at these commands, stay awake and be sober, it seems pretty straightforward, right? Especially the be sober thing, right? Now here's the thing. Paul's not saying alcohol is always bad for all people because you remember Jesus? He turned water into wine, right? He sat at a table with his friends the night before he died and drank wine. What Paul is saying is that to be of a mind that makes bad choices, a mind that causes harm because it's under the influence is not the way that we are meant to live. And I think that kind of speaks for itself in this discussion because when we're talking about addiction of any form, the main way that it manifests in a person's life is through impaired judgment of some form or another. But here's where Paul's words really strike at the heart of the condition that addiction leaves people in. When he says, stay awake. Now, Paul's not saying, don't take naps. If naps are off the table for Christian living, then I don't know if I want to follow Jesus, right? <laughs> Let's be honest. <laughs> now, what Paul is getting at is much more profound than that. The word he uses for alive is a Greek word, Gregorio. And this, the meaning that the Paul assigns here is much more compelling than just don't fall asleep. Gregorio means to constantly be ready to remain fully alive. And I just, I just love that idea. Be fully alive. Like, be fully the person that God created you to be. Live in a way that fully embraces the gift of life that you've been given from God. Be fully available to use the specific gifts that God has given you 
to fulfill the specific calling that God has placed on your life. You see, the sad reality is that far too many of us, far too many of the people of this world walk through life fully unaware of the gifts and the calling that God has given to them. We're asleep at the wheel, just kind of fumbling around from one temporary feel-good thing to the next, hoping that somehow, some way, we will find meaning and fulfillment in anything in this world other than God's love for us. And Paul says, knock that kind of living off. Wake up from your amnesia. Jesus is enough for you. The theological founder of the Methodist movement, which we are a part of, by the way, United Methodist Church, <laughs> a man named John Wesley, when he woke from his amnesia, he made a habit of going into the places where people lived really, really hard lives. What he found in the cities on the outskirts of England were societies, people who were stricken by poverty. And what he realized was that their poverty was a side effect of the overwhelming culture of alcoholism. See, the men would work in the mines all day long and then drink their money away. And they would do this day after day, week after week, year after year, until the alcoholism grew to be so much that they could no longer do the working in the mines part. There was no hope. Families were handcuffed by the affliction of the bottle that shackled the men. Now, this was long before there was Alcoholics Anonymous or Narcotics Anonymous or any kind of 12-step program for people to join and find relief. All that there was in the way of help was the church. And the church, at least in England, was unwilling to go into these places. But John saw what was happening. A disease, a, a spiritual malady was present. These were people who needed help. These were people Jesus wanted to help. And these are people who could be helped if they just knew that hope was out there. And so Wesley began going into these places and speaking out against excessive drinking and alcoholism. He emphasized to them the importance of personal responsibility, of self-discipline, and of leading a disciplined Christian life. Well, we all know that just speaking out at somebody doesn't actually get the job done most of the time. So what John did in order to accomplish his goal was establish small groups called Methodist societies, where people gathered for mutual support, for prayer, and accountability. What these groups did was they provided a community that helped people stay committed to a sober lifestyle, helped them to focus on personal reflection, repentance, and a commitment to living virtuously. Basically, John Wesley invented AA and didn't even realize it. I have a friend who's a pastor over in Tampa, and he says that the 12 steps of AA are the best discipleship program available. Our bishop, 
Tom Berlin put it another way. He said that somewhere along the line, we gave real Methodism, the Methodism of John Wesley over to 12-step programs and then turned the other way to play church in the next room. See, all along, the purpose of the church is to be a place of healing. In Wesley's society, alcoholism was the driving force behind a hopeless world. But by restoring individuals to sobriety and to a state of awakeness, Wesley was able to help entire societies find healing, hope, and transformation. See, the goal of a 12-step program It isn't simply to stop using drugs or drinking alcohol or doing whatever it is that makes your life unmanageable, that makes you a walking train wreck. The goal is to produce a spiritual awakening, a spiritual awakening that opens the mind, the heart, and the soul to a new way of living, a new way of seeing the world, and a new way of loving God's people. See, the spiritual awakening allows a person to truly live life fully alive, alive in the hope and in the promises of God, alive in the gift of life, alive in the love of God, neighbor, and self, alive in the power to go out and seek and save the lost, alive to live out the mission of Jesus in the world. So, like, this is the thing. If this is all speaking to your heart because you're silently struggling with some kind of addiction, hear these words. There is hope. There is healing. There is transformation. And I want you to find it. I want to help you find it. Come and find me. I'll show you how I did it. And my mama will tell you that if I could do it, literally anybody in this world could do it, okay? (laughs) But for the rest of y'all, I want you to imagine for a moment with me, like, what would it look like for us to be that community of hope, that place of healing and accountability? What are the ways that we as a church can reach out into our modern-day coal mining towns? which are literally everywhere around us, and lift people out of their slumber and into a fully alive way of being and living, how can we be the facilitators of a spiritual awakening? I think that you have heard some of the ways today through my friends at Better Together, but how can we take this even further? How can this become a way of life, an identity for us? How can we be a church that more deeply reflects the call of Jesus to be a place of refuge, reconciliation, and transformation? Well, I think it begins right here. I'm not pointing at me, pointing at the heart. It begins with a willingness to see people and a willingness to want to go where the church has feared to go for far too long. And it continues with a willingness to to walk beside people, to show them 
that they are loved, to show them that they're not alone, and that they too are worthy of new life. Amen? Let's pray. Holy One, we thank you for the gift of a transformed life. We thank you for innumerable ways that you have showed yourself to us as individuals and that you are showing yourself to us as a community of your beloved. Help us to continue to think and to dream and to follow the Spirit's leading into a glorious new future where your world continues to be transformed through the love of your people. Show us how we can be a guiding light, the hands and feet of our Savior Jesus here in this world. How we can continue to to just impact and flood this world with your love and with the knowledge that through you all things truly are possible. So we praise you for, for the resurrection, Jesus. We praise you for what that means for us in our daily lives. We praise you for what that means for the world around us. And we just pray that you would continue to connect us to those who need to know that their life is worth being lived fully alive. So come, Holy Spirit. Do your work. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.